You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. We wanted to uh, use this Sunday morning as an opportunity to um, capture a little bit on 9-11, of course, the 20-year anniversary. Um, but also, we know that a lot of you are newer to our, our fellowship, and, and that's great. We welcome you, and praise God for the gathering that he gathers. But, um, you know, 20 years ago, there was a, um, a ministry that was going on. We were young. Even the pictures that you saw there with me there, I was a little younger. I was like in my 20s, I think. I think I was 21. Actually, I was 41, <clears throat> if that gives my age away. But um, God was doing some very unique things, and, and we were excited for whatever God brought into our path. Um, we had learned a little bit about doing ministry outside of our four walls and foreign nations through missions and whatnot. But then when they, the Kobe earthquakes hit in Japan, we were invited to go, and I saw for the first time an opportunity to minister to people that were just going through the unthinkable. In one small community, 4,000 people had instantly lost their lives. place was rubble everywhere. And, and, and even though there was a language barrier, I saw just humans, souls that were so open. And I came back and I began to tell all my pastoral friends, we need to capitalize on every crisis that happens in this world. It's just different. It's unique. The, 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 the soil is so fertile. And, and so and there were a couple of those times that God, you know, did that. And, and a, a lot of us began to get involved locally in our police departments. We, we began to get trained to be chaplains and became chaplains. And it was, it was a great experience of learning how to minister outside these four walls. And then 9-11 happened. And I'll walk you through some of my personal experience, and I just want you to know I'm going to bring to you the facts, the facts of what 9-11 represent to me, the facts firsthand, what I saw, what I witnessed, who was behind it, the different responses to it, how we as a church responded. And the reason I want to walk through this is because I believe that something was instilled in us, our leadership, and in our church as we went out there initially uh, and then the whole following year, team after team after team would go out there and, and capitalize on the doors that the Lord um, began to open up uh, to us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before I get into all of that, <clears throat> I want to also address this election. And um, as you guys know, I am uh, not to tell you who I endorse in any election. That's the law of our land. If you want to know afterwards, come up and I'll tell you who and why and everything. But I will tell you that um, during the pandemic, when we were feeling God clearly lead us and guide us to continue being the church, I came out, you know, even as early as on Easter of 2020, and I said, we will not stop being the church. We will be whatever God calls us to be. And that's why we're showing up on your doorsteps and, and opening up any doors we could and whatnot. And I felt that, and I even told our leadership, as long as St. Jude has his doors open, our doors are going to be open because I believe the, the ministry to the people in need physically is important, but I believe we are called to minister to souls. If there's anything more essential than that, I don't know what it is. The church is the most essential thing. That was my message. It still is. It's what the Word of God would have us to understand. And, and it's difficult when you have a leader of a, of a state deem you as not essential. And I remember right then, as soon as I heard that, I said the battle lines have been drawn. I do believe that we are to respect our governing authorities and pray for them and everything that Romans 13 absolutely says we believe and we practice. When do we not fall in line with what the government says? When the government contradicts the word of God and tells us to do something that contradicts the word of God, or not to do something that contradicts the word of God. So by virtue of having a governor that came out and said, we're not essential, we're not to meet, we're not to sing, we're not to, you know, do this, I immediately felt like, well, that's not God's choice for me. 
That's not, that's not God's choice for what I believe we're called to be as a church. I don't say that condescendingly against uh, our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom. I don't look at him critically. I pray for him. I wish I had his hair. You know, there, there's, there's, he's a soul. He's a, he's, a, he's a good guy in that sense. He's a human that needs Jesus and needs the governance of Jesus in his life. And then I'd be all over, yeah, keep him in office. But I don't think that's the case. And obviously, you can know where I'm going with that. I, I am looking for someone else to, to, to take that position. And so as I look at, at others to govern my life, to govern us as a people and as a church, I, 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 I just, where are they at with God? I, I, I just want to know, is there something there we could work with here? So I, I always look at how much do they value life? Because I know God values life. Look around this room. And, and, and I, I, where do they stand on abortion? Where do they stand on life? That's important to me. And then where do they stand on the family? Where do they stand on marriage? Where do they stand on the church? So as you're looking at these candidates, you know, really look at them. Who are they and what are they going to represent? I think that is very important. That will help you vote your biblical values. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, yes, thank you for those four people that support me. That was uh, huge. I feel, <laughs> I feel your heart. But this is important that we we stop and we pause. And we, we look at what did God teach us? What did God desire to do in us as a nation, as a church, as his kids? 20 years ago when those towers fell. I don't know where you were. I know exactly where, where I was. I was meeting with a group of men. There was a business, guys that owned businesses, for just a little while. We just started the group. We met at 6 o'clock in the morning. It was early, and as we got there, one of them had a, a, a cool kind of converted van with a TV in it. And he's like, hey, Lance, bro, come check this out. And, and he had just, the, the, the first plane had hit, American Airlines Flight 11 had just hit the first North Tower. And we sat there. And then the other guys were coming, and I said, check this out. And, and we were watching, and, you know, 15 minutes later, you, you have another plane hitting another tower. We instantly knew this is not good. And you guys saw the events unfold. You have your facts, what you saw if you were tuning in. And I'm sure every one of us, when we began to hear there were more planes in the sky and that the nation was under attack and, and, and the Pentagon was then, I think 40 minutes later, struck with a plane and then another plane would go down in Pennsylvania. All of this began to like swirl into how we view life, how we view America, our family. I'm sure you reached out to people you love, people you care about, people you're concerned about. I had friends and loved ones in New Jersey, in New York. We were ministry partnering and knew them well enough. We got to get a hold of them. And immediately they were like, pray for us. We have all kinds of people that work in those towers. Those towers employed 50,000 people. They had their own zip code. There was more commerce done in those two towers on one day than the combined state of Alaska and Hawaii put together. You're talking about a massive amount of people. 80,000 visitors to, to almost more each day would visit those towers. And when they came down, if you knew people in that area and you knew just what that was about, you're like, what is going on? I think that first day was just a day of, of rallying, getting people together, letting them know you love them, praying for one another. That night, our church, just all kinds of people came here. We had a prayer meeting. The following night, the Wednesday night, 9-12 of 2001, this room had more people in it than it ever had or has ever had in it since. I remember walking out here nervous. I myself was still trying to understand what was going on. God gave me a scripture. I'm going to share that same scripture today. I was, I was like, everyone had big eyes. Every, my phone never stopped ringing from the time those towers hit. I was nervous. But I knew God had spoke to my heart. And, and he clearly just wanted our, our church to know the right response. There's a difference in how people respond to these kind of tragedies. There is a response from people who don't know God. It's very clear. It's very 
concise, or not concise, but very consistent. And there's a response that's different than that from the people that follow God, that know God. And so that particular season was something that, that would grow us and form us and shape us and, and, and just change how we would even view ministry. Today, there is a lot of discussion, if you've watched the news over the last few days, and everybody's trying to be so politically correct with everything, and, and truth has been marginalized and minimized and ignored. We live in a world today where so many people don't care about truth, have no fear of consequences, have no fear of God, and when you listen to them, you're like, there's no conscience to that. But as I was even listening to the news all week, and I was watching some certain people being interviewed and talking about 9-11 and their views of it. They, they, they didn't want to talk about the perpetrators. They didn't want to talk about those individuals that actually flew planes into a building and, and, and attacked this country that I believe is what it is today because of the providence of God. And, and I just want you to know firsthand, this isn't just me reading a book, firsthand what I saw, what I witnessed and how people responded to all of that. I remember the first day that planes could, all of airspace was shut down for a number of days, but the first day you could get in the air, I was on the phone with all of my friends that were, that were clergy and were chaplains and were credentialed, and we were trying to get back. We had no idea what doors God would open, but we wanted to get on planes. We wanted to get back there. And I remember in airports, talking to people. And I remember the disdain and the hatred and the animosity coming out of them towards Islam, towards certain geographical locations. And, 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 and we, began to, we began to understand who was behind this. We, we understand what now what Al-Qaeda was, this terrorist organization, this extremist group of Islam. We understand who bin Laden was and no longer is. Amen? Amen. We understand that. We understand that the Taliban that yesterday celebrated in Afghanistan, their new government, was supporting all of this. We understand all of that. We understand that when we get on planes and go back and forth now, and we will travel with people that have opinions, and they're, 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 they're politically charged and, 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 and just charged. They're charged up. They want to talk. I, I remember getting on, going through some checkpoints, going, man, we never had to do this before. And I remember people saying, I am not getting on the plane if that man gets on the plane because he looked like he was of that, that Arab look. And I remember just going, hey, calm down, everybody. It, it just, I remember searching the word as I was even flying about the, the, the Islamic faith and just bringing notes and, and understanding that if I were to talk to some people, help them understand, this is, this is not the God of my Bible. This is not Allah and, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of the Bible. You understand that. And, and as you look at the, the extremist of Islam, you understand that they, they, these, aren't, these aren't the same religions. And I'm hearing the blurring of all of the lines right now, and we shouldn't be able to, to we should be talking about that. Yes, we absolutely should in a loving way. I myself understand that in the seventh century, there was a building that would be built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem called the Dome of the Rock. I take tours up there. People ask, what's the dome? I have, I have no problem saying to them, well, that was built in the seventh century. Islam came along just a little bit before that. And Islam worships this god, Allah, who Allah doesn't have a son. And they have a prophet, and his name's Muhammad. They believe he ascended to heaven from the rock underneath that particular structure. But I want you to know, written in a language we don't read, but I will interpret with my notes, written around the inscription, written around that dome of the rock, are very hostile words towards our God. 
These are words that define who their God is and who our God is. And they clearly say that Jesus is not God, that God has no son. They talk about the, the virgin birth. They denounce that. They denounce the deity of Jesus Christ. He's just a prophet. Very different gods. Very different religions. And there's nothing wrong with lovingly studying that, lovingly understanding that, and lovingly talking about that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying not all people of the Islam faith are extremists. There's nothing wrong with saying they do have their extremists. And it's their extreme people that train these people in terror and continue to do so and train them how to fly these planes. And they did the unthinkable. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's important as we are educating our, our, our world around us, our kids around us, because of my exposure to 9-11 and the trips that we took back there and the doors that got opened up, I've been, I've been given the opportunity to share with high school students in high school settings. And over the last few years, on the anniversaries, on the last few years, the last few times I've talked, I've realized there's a, there's a, they're clueless. They're, 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 they're completely ignorant. It's like, we don't want to talk about that. And I'm watching today the, the media portraying people that are saying, let's not talk about the pro proponents of this and the, the, the evil in this. Let's not do that. No, we absolutely should be. We absolutely should be taking this time with our children and our grandchildren and, and, and helping them identify what is evil. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does that. It is a great opportunity to go in and, 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 and look at history and say, on this day, there was this very evil thing that happened, and these are the people with these extreme beliefs that did it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the facts. I think it's important. Because at the same time, you can go, but God. This is who our God is. A God of love. You see, our God, the God of, the way I like to say it, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Amen. their belief in their believing that the land is theirs, that Israel and Jerusalem is there, that the Islamic faith is through the line of Ishmael, but God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from him, from the line of, of Abraham, the blessing to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, through him, through his family, through Isaac and Jacob, there would be the seed. There would be the promised land and the promised Messiah that he would come. That's the God that we serve. And this is a great teaching opportunity. Just a great opportunity. It's not complicated. It's not too hard. It's not too difficult. It's a great teaching opportunity. This is where extreme evil that is per perpetuated and taught it's part of our world today. It exists in our world today. This is what it's rooted in. There's nothing wrong with understanding that. And then bring in the fact that we serve a loving God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who does have a son, and his name is Jesus. And he died on a cross, and he rose from the grave, and he's the God that offers love and forgiveness even to those extremists. That's the God we serve. 2,977 people died that day. 3,251 children lost a parent on that day. 341 firefighters, 23 NYPD, 37 police officers from the Port Authority. We got to know many of them. 55 military personnel killed in the Pentagon. Many have died since. Over 7,000 U.S. service members and over 8,000 contractors have died in post-9-11 wars, Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. This is a sobering number. Over 30,000 U.S. service members and veterans of post-9-11 wars have died by suicide. It's dark. It's evil. Satan is behind it. 9-11 was a very, very difficult day for our nation, but God brought us through. Yesterday in my 
one of the social media posts I wrote, and I'd like to read it and then springboard off of it. 9-11, 20 years later, a time to remember. On this 20-year anniversary of 9-11, we remember the nearly 3,000 innocent victims from over 90 different countries who died in the terrorist attacks on our country. We also want to remember and honor all of those who responded to the 9-11 attacks, firefighters, police officers, search and rescue workers, military personnel, iron workers, hundreds of relief agencies and volunteers, churches and clergy from all over the world. It's also a time to pray. I would encourage you to take time with your family and pray for the widows, widowers, those that lost a spouse, the parents who lost a child, a grandchild, the 3,251 children that lost a parent, all the friends and colleagues who instantly lost a treasured relationship. Pray for the many responders who have fallen ill as a result of being exposed to the hazards of 9-11. Pray for America, that God would bring healing and unity, and most importantly, salvation on this solemn day of remembrance. It's also a time for God to heal our land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, and you guys know this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. As we read that scripture, the scripture makes it clear that Israel would only be healed when their hearts were humbled, their lips were opened in prayer, their eyes turned toward the Lord, and their lives turned away from sin. The unthinkable that took place 20 years ago on 9-11 brought a lot of questions. I remember those first few days when we were here before we went back to New York. Many people came here and just said, why would God allow this? And they would then want to somehow find fault and, and, and somehow try and find the, some sort of understanding to all of this. I'm not sure we're going to get a lot of questions answered down here on earth. I believe all things will make sense in heaven because every event of our life will look different from an eternal perspective. I didn't have all the answers. I still don't have all the answers. When the attacks happened 20 years ago, there were those who felt they did have answers. They felt that they knew the why. Many were saying, God is judging our nation. They went public with that, and I wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't know the heart of God in the matter, and I still don't claim to. A lot of people think that if something tragic happened to you, it must be because you were wicked and you deserved it. I remember dealing with this question a lot. I'd like us to turn our Bibles over to Luke chapter 13 and, and just consider some insights from Jesus that will help us understand maybe a good response to this. And even, even how he models himself when asked with a similar question. Jesus is speaking to a crowd that you might say is caught up in this kind of thinking. He says in verse 1, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, Luke, he doesn't give us a whole lot of background on either one of these particular situations. He brings Pilate up. We know Pilate. Pilate will become more known in the latter 
portions of Luke when Jesus stands before him. We know him as Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. We know him to be very hostile. He was anti-Semitic and hated the Jews and opposed them and suppressed them. I can go on with all kinds of stories about what he did to oppose the Jews. But around this time, he killed some Galileans. The, 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 the idea is they were offering sacrifices in Jerusalem. So they were Jews from Galilee that had come to probably commemorate the Passover. And he had killed some of them and, and, and mingled their blood with the sacrifice. That's just crazy. It's the unthinkable. It would get all of the Jews in Jerusalem worked up. And it would get them asking, asking all kinds of questions. Then the big one, why? And when Jesus, you know, is heading up to Jerusalem around that time, some come to him and they ask him that very question. Why? If Jesus ignores the issue, he would be accused of being pro-Roman. Pro if he spoke out against Pilate, he would be in trouble with the Roman authorities. And his time to be dealing with them or them to be dealing with him is yet to come. Instead, Jesus avoids the, the, the politics of it completely. Instead of, of discussing Pilate's evil actions and getting into it and, and, and getting all worked up about all of that, he, he just began to talk about a different topic, and the, the, the topic was sin. I've read this a few times, and it, it almost looks like he's honing in on, the, on, on sin generally, but the, 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 the people that are there, I almost think he's honing in on, on, on sin as it relates to their sin. Hey, I understand that you have, you have questions about these that Herod killed, and you might be thinking, what did they do to deserve that? You know, was, in the, in the, is, it, is it their sin that brought this on? And, and some would be asking about, no, no, no. Do, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? Good question. That's the kind of thinking that Job, as Job was suffering, lost all that he lost and was dealing with boils and all the physical challenges he had. He was, that was the kind of thinking that his friends had when they were telling him that his suffering was brought on by his own sin. There's some today that beat that drum and say, if there's any suffering in your life, it's related to sin in your life. If you take that line of thinking, you're going to have a hard time explaining the suffering of the prophets in the Bible, in the, in the apostles, and even Jesus himself. So to, to support his point, Jesus asked, well, you know, there's another thing over here that happened. How would you explain the death of the people, those that died at the, 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 the Tower of Siloam? Now, there's not a whole lot known about this, this tower. It's believed that it was a tower that was being constructed, under construction, by the pools of Siloam. And we go to the pools of Siloam on our tour, and it could have been somewhere right around there. The tower fell. Possibly during construction, 18 people died. It wasn't the fault of Pilate, nor was it the fault of God. There's 18 people. There was an accident in this particular case, and they were doing their jobs, and they would lose their lives. But in verse 3 and again in verse 5, Jesus gives a logical conclusion here. He says, Let, let's look at the greater issue here, folks. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he brings just a, a greater consideration. I understand these really bad things happen. And you want to case and point it to something they did in their life, and though that, that must be sin, and they must deserve this. And well, hold on. If you want to talk about sin, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about the sin of human beings, that the judgment of God is hanging over all men. Are you ready to face that? Have you repented? Have you dealt with your sin between you and God? You see, it's easy to pick apart the injustices in other people's judgment, but what about the reality of your own sin as it relates to God? He deflected their question about why and guided them to the more important 
focus. And yeah, when tragedy strikes close to home, when big things happen, difficult things happen, it gets us to ask why. But Jesus is like, well, okay, but maybe the better consideration is just on yourself. Maybe think about yourself before God. I believe that is what God would have all of us be doing today as we entered this pandemic. We encouraged our church and continue to encourage our church to look up, to seek God, to seek his heart, to seek his word, to seek his voice, to seek what he would have you to learn from this, how he would have you to respond to this. Believe that God could be using a tragedy, a crisis, even a global pandemic for your good, for something bigger than what everyone has politicized. Whenever I officiate funerals, we, we reflect upon and we honor the life of the people that are deceased. That's, it's proper. It's right. It's, it's a good time to even answer some questions. Sometimes we talk about their life and how they died. Sometimes people are there and they're curious about that. Sometimes it's appropriate. It's appropriate to talk about that. But then, but then their, their death brings us to that, well, their mortality, the mortal part of their life has come to an end. So now we get to talk about mortality and spirituality and eternity. Not just in general terms. If you ever come to a funeral that I officiate, well, if it's yours, you won't be paying attention, but if you ever come to a funeral that I officiate, I get a little excited at that point because I have your undivided attention. There's a casket in front of us. There's a corpse in front of us. There's an urn in front of us. There's pictures in front of us. They're no longer here. Everyone's like, whoa, they're paying attention. Jesus saw that and capitalized on that. He saw... What was more important than all these deviations and all these sidelines and sidebar conversations that we as his followers get caught up in and we miss the moment? Jesus did not miss that moment. He knew there were people hurting because towers had fallen, he knew that there were Jews that were hurting because some of their loved ones were killed. But he went to the issue of the soul. And when we saw God open doors back at ground zero, that was what was the ache of our heart. There were hundreds of agencies, relief agencies, volunteers that had flooded that area that were doing really good things. They weren't all there for the greater good of the soul. They were there as doctors, as iron workers, as crane operators, as bucket brigade firemen carrying off debris. Off. There was just countless numbers of people going there, but we, we didn't feel that ache in our heart. There was something more serious. It was souls. One of the questions that was brought up in those first few days, next to the why question, and I think you should follow Jesus' model when a big crisis hits and say, look up, seek him, seek his heart, seek his word. Lord, how is this between you and I? I think if you start there, God will use you in that crisis. Don't get caught up in all the details. How many of you guys know the devil's in the details? Stay away from the details. There's just experts on everything. Let the experts be the experts on everything. You be the expert on Jesus Christ and what he's doing in your life, and he'll use you to his glory. Amen. He'll use you to his glory. And you could do that as a politician. You could do that as a crane operator. You could do that as a fireman. As You could do that as a police officer. You could do that in whatever field, wherever God has placed you. You can do that. You can be light. You can be salt. You can represent the hope of Jesus Christ to the hurting of the world. That's what he modeled. That's what he did. That's what he taught. 
But that other question, where is God? Some people asked it, almost implying that, that God is never in the midst of a tragedy. Let me tell you firsthand what I saw and how I saw God. I saw God open doors. We weren't credentialed. We weren't trained through the FBI, through FEMA. We weren't credentialed through the NYPD, through the FBI. We had chaplain status. My little lack, lanyard that I had said chaplain of the city of La Habra. That got me a little bit of, you know, behind the yellow tape in the city of La Habra. But when I got off the plane with, uh, with other firemen, military personnel, pastors, chaplains, police officers, God opened doors. We knew that there was a, a, a Calvary Chapel that had been planted down in lower Manhattan. Didn't know if we can get to it. The perimeter that was set up around Ground Zero was blocks away from Ground Zero. It was, the military was there. The presence was there. You were not getting in. But as it would turn out, God would want us in. And we were invited to go to a meeting like the second day that we were there, and as I went into the meeting, I saw pastors that I knew, Greg Laurie and other guys that just were Mike McIntosh and stuff, and, and there were a couple of uppity-ups in the NYPD, and they were, they were wanting to take pastors and chaplains to ground zero to walk the pile because the firefighters that were working the pile, and the firefighters and the police officers that were working the pile and guarding it, said, we're not going home till we get our loved ones, our last man out. And they were weary. And they were tired. And they were hurting. And they were mad. And they said, would, would some of you guys go? And, 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 and I just kind of did the, you know, and they I got chosen. And they took us into another room. And they put NYPD jackets on us and NYPD hats on us. And, and they put us in these vans. And they drove us right down to ground zero right to where the cameras took us every day when we got home from work. And they, 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 they walked us out of the van, and they said, you see these guys working around here. You see them every night on TV. Please convince them to go home to their families. We knew there was a bigger reason than just that, and we were just all up for it. They said, but before we, we, we take you there, we want to walk you over to a viewing platform that the city has built for the family members that they can't get close enough, but they just want to get close to the pile. There's pictures, thousands of pictures everywhere. Have you seen my loved one? Everywhere you go. And, and, and by now they were realizing they're not coming out of that pile alive. So they built, built what they called a viewing platform. It was a large ramp about as big as the middle of our sanctuary, and it had these two-by-six rails around it. And as they would vet out these family members, they would bring them up and they would ask us to go and just stand with them and talk to them. And some of the pictures that we've had around our property over the years, and you saw up here, those, the, the handwritten notes are on the railing of that viewing platform. And I couldn't even get through three or four of them. They were daughters crying out to their daddy. Wives, their husbands, come on. And your heart sinks and evil just gets more evil. And the God of love just becomes more of what you want. And more of what you get to offer. Now go walk around that pile. And so we did. And we got to pray with these men. And hold these men. And cry with these men. And hear them out. Smell death. Every year I get two letters from the health authorities in New York asking me to fill out forms because I was there and they monitor our health. And if you haven't kept up on this, I'm fine, by the way, but there are a lot of people that are dying with cancer and different diseases because of their exposure to Ground Zero. We were there a lot. But God had opened that door. God had given us favor. I saw God there. You ask me, is 
Was God there? Yes, God was there, very much there. I remember one of the four NYPD chiefs. There's four different districts. Each of them have a chief of their police department that they did back then. And one of them heard about us being there and asked if he could meet with us. And they took us up to his office. And we were kind of overlooking the city. And he slams the door. And he says, I've never been a person of faith. But what I've seen, what I've personally witnessed, has brought me to an end of that thinking and I need help and he just took off his hat and he wept and he allowed us to walk him right into a just a saving faith of Jesus Christ conversation I saw God there I saw God there I went back shortly after that and and with another group we were going and we we wanted to walk the perimeter. I wanted to see the people. There were thousands of people around the perimeter, blocks away. They just, just wanted to see, just wanted to get close. And there was one prominent shot on the news, and I said, I want to get to that place. And so they took me over there, and, and I went outside on the other side of the perimeter. And as I walked through the crowd, there were thousands of people down this block. And, and you couldn't hear anything in the city of New York. It was dead silent. Blocks away was the World Trade Center, still on fire. All you could hear was the, the action of the, the, of, the, of the pile, the cranes and the beep, 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 a little, just faint. Not a word. It was dead silent. And I remember like, Lord, what are you going to do? And there was a young kid. I don't know who this kid is. Maybe he was an angel of the Lord. I don't know. But he just comes, excuse me, sir. He walks by me, kind of smiled. I'm like, what this guy? And he has a guitar on his back. And he goes and he just jumps up in front of everybody and he starts to play this song and he says, I have a father. He, know, he, he calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he Here's me when I call. And he just played it again. And people began to weep. How many of you guys know what it feels like when the Holy Spirit falls on a group? And I watched a loving God just hold these people. And we just began to just hold and cry and kind of sway with this guy. I saw God when I was standing next to St. Mark's church. And there was a man that came out, and he was from a building that was right above Ground Zero. He was credentialed to get in and work there. It was called the Transformation, or Transportation Building. He had an office, like, way up high in one of the higher floors. And he just came by, and he saw us, clergy, and he goes, I just want to help. How do I help? And I says, well, I don't know, man, but we have some people were praying with you want to come pray with you because I don't, I don't I'm not a religious guy but who is it you guys are praying with and I said well there's a bunch of people from United Airlines and American Airlines and they want to come and pay their respects to the loved ones and he says my office is right above the pile great so we organized this whole ministry thing put a prayer booth on the outside of it they would come in their uniforms, their flight attendant stuff. We would bring them in. They, they would have to be blocks away, but we got them there, and we took them in the elevator, and as we went up, we said, can we pray with you? And we'd go up, and we'd walk out and just look at the, and put our arms around them and just talk about the love of God. How many felt God, heard about Jesus? We used to say, on the way up, they didn't know God. By the time they came down, they did. And then we had a bunch of our, our, our gals that would come, and we'd put them right outside in this little prayer booth, and we'd be, let's be like official. Okay, now that we've come down, you need to go over here now. <laughs> and it was just this whole, like the favor of God over and over and over. We saw God in it. Even, we never want to minimize the number of people who lost their lives. 2,977, unthinkable. But again, those 
often, we talked to so many people who got out, who said that they just felt that they weren't supposed to go to work that day. I mean, 50,000 people, 80,000 visitors. Imagine what could have happened. You see God in this. For you that were here, you know, 20 years ago, God was with us here. The Saturday before that Tuesday, 9-11, I told Lori, I just feel like I need to go back to my office at the church. I just, God's got something. Okay, and I went. I walked my office and walked my office, and I just felt the Lord set me down and just write. And I wrote a prayer. I've never written a prayer before then. I haven't written a prayer. I think it's kind of, I just like talking to God. I don't to write them out. But I wrote this prayer. We were in Ephesians that day. And I closed the sermon, and God said, read this to the church, and then say these things. Okay. And I'm going to, 20 years later, read it. It is my prayer that God's voice would be loud and clear enough for me to respond appropriately. May his voice arrest my attention. May his voice pierce my pride. May his voice invade my interest. May his voice program, program my priorities. May it break through the clutter of my concerns and bring contentment. May his voice be more compelling than the voice of my career. May his voice be more compelling than the voice of my culture. May his voice be more compelling than my acquaintances, both of family and friends. For without your voice, my God, I am lost. And I closed each service with that saying, what will it take for God to wake up America to where we will hear his voice? God was with us. God was very, very, very present. And many people, the days following 9-11 said, it's an awakening. God is with us. To see our Congress go and sing God Bless America on the steps of our, that's a miracle. It's a God thing. To see Yankee Stadium fill up with 50,000 people that came together and pray, that's a God thing. God was at work. God was doing amazing things. And there was a bit of an awakening. For some people, it was a national awakening, a patriotic awakening. For some, it was a military awakening. I'm going to go and defend our country. Great, all honorable things. For some, it was an economic awakening. All of that might be cool and have its place, but when God would look at using a tragedy such as 9-11 or a tragedy such as a pandemic, he's not worried about waking you up economically or politically. He is looking at waking you up spiritually. And I'm sure all of us would say, 20 years ago, America really needed to be awakened spiritually. And I'm sure if you were honest and you looked around at America now, you would say, even more. Even more. People would always say, why are our churches always filled up on Christmas and Easter? I've never had a good answer for that. Not not one you would want to hear me say. People would say, I remember my pastors were calling me, what was your church like the last couple of Sundays? Oh, bro, salvation. I I didn't have to give a sermon. Everybody was just ready to give their life to Jesus Christ. Following 9-11 for two weeks. Third week, not so much. Since then... It's never been like that. So it was a spark, but it wasn't an awakening. Not the kind of awakening. Maybe in your life, I've talked to some people that that 9-11, man, it it changed the whole trajectory of their life, and God used it, and they put the focus on them, and they got right with God, and it's never been the same. And that's a good thing. I can never lose the stench of ground zero. I don't want to. I don't want to. 
the smells of ground zero, and I won't get into the details, death. The, 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 the fire stations that we sat in, as some of the pictures would show you with men here, and sat with these fire men that outside were the boots of all of their buddies. We'd sit there all day with them. And the stories they told me, I, I wish some of those I can get out of my mind. But the stench of death, the stench of depravity, the stench of evil, the stench of darkness, the stench of hatred, it's there. I could smell it. And so what do you do when there's a bad smell in your house? You try and rid it or overpower it. You and I are to be diffusers of the fragrance of Christ. And the aroma of the cross will overpower any stench of sin and death. When we, when we have funerals, it is so sad until we get to the gospel. And then we bring in the aroma of the resurrection. The aroma of life after death. We, 20 years later, wake up to the stench of depravity. A stench of hatred, of animosity, of godlessness, of a stench that is, it's just a stench against God, against his word, against his people, against the church, a stench against truth. The stench of hatred is so palpable. The stench of indifference, the stench of division, in our nation, in the workplace, in families, in churches, amongst Christians, the stench of division, it's nauseatingly, glaringly in our face. That stench needs to be overpowered by the aroma of the cross. Because the cross brings hope to the non-believer. The stench of their sin bring in the cross. They can be forgiven and saved. They were going to hell. Bring in the cross. It changes everything. Now they're going to heaven. What's heaven smell like? For the believer, the cross brings hope. For the believer, we bring in and we diffuse the love of God. The grace of God. You see, we were just like them. But we've been made new in Christ. We're new creations. Old things have passed away. Now all things have become new. We're new. The cross has made us new. And we have hope. And we have an opportunity as if it was 20 years ago and it's 912. We have the same opportunity. We've woke up to the same stenchy world. And we have, listen, we have vulnerable people that are just as rocked. Looking back over 9-11, I can't tell you how many plane rides, how many conversations in vans with people, how many countless conversations. I never had one person tell me no when I shared my faith. They never had one person tell me no when I reached out to hug them or pray for them. I've never seen that until this last year. The same thing is true this, this last 16, 18 months. The question is, do you see that? Do you believe that there is a God who is like in this. If you ask me about 9-11 20 years ago, I will matter of fact, I will talk your ear off for four hours on how God was in it. 
And if you ask me at the end of this year, was God in the pandemic beginning in, in 2020, I will, I will fill you with so much hope and so many stories of how God is in it. The question is, do you believe it? Are you experiencing that? Just as those Galileans would ask Jesus, what do you think we should be doing right now? That's a great question to ask Jesus. What do you think about all of this? That's a great question to ask Jesus. But don't be surprised if he takes your focus off of politics and policies and all the events and all the details and puts the focus on you. Don't be surprised. Because in order for him to display his heart through you, he's got to make sure your heart's right with him. And then he will. He has died and raised from the grave to save you in order to diffuse his grace through you and me. And may our church understand, it doesn't matter how long you've been here or how long you're going to stay here, but whenever you are here, may you understand that God exposed us to something and taught us something that put us on a trajectory that he is about the lost. He loves us who we're found. But he desires to reach, reach those that are lost. That Second Chronicles scripture again, and I'll close with this. If my people who are called by my name. Hmm. If, if God were to heal our land today, where do you think he would start? God's like, oh, I want to start healing the land of Israel. I think I'll start with my people. And so I got I to kind of go through that and, and understand again that, that I've got to humble myself to God. I've got, got to pray and seek his face and turn from any wicked thinking, speaking ways. And then he's going to hear from heaven, begin to forgive sin, heal land. Heal the land, heal others. In the Old Testament days, people would come to the temple in need of God. They would come there for forgiveness. They would come there to understand who God is. They would come to encounter God. They would come to gain strength from God. They would come there in need of God. They would come to the temple. Well, today, you would look back and then go, well, that's where God, you go to the Old Testament, it's where God's, God's eyes were, God's heart was, and God's ears were. It just was a picture of God there. They would go there for him. Do you know today there is no structure, structured temple in Jerusalem? Do you know what would be the temple today? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. There's the temple of God. There's the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are the temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? You can imagine people getting their worlds rocked in Old Testament days going to the temple for hope, for answers, for help, for prayer, to know God, to be directed in the ways of God. You are, I am, we are collectively making up the temple of God. And may people come to us and find him. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Mead's going to come up and lead us in a, a prayer song. And uh, it's a cool song, kind of for us and for our nation. But Lord... As we close out this final song, we thank you for a day of reflection and remembrance. And Lord, just bringing the events of 9-11 under the lens of your word, the realigning that you would desire to do in our life. Lord, we pray for America. Please, Jesus, be merciful. Pray for our state.
be merciful. (laughs) For those that are opposing you, turn their back on you. Have mercy, Lord. Use us to be the fragrance of your love, the fragrance of the cross, the fragrance of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.